Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, welcome to Power and Witness Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Father Mark. It's great to be back with you again. It's been a while. Yeah. And you've just come out with a book uh, on the diaconate. And uh, tell us a little bit about your book. What inspired you to write it? Yeah, so this year is going to be 20 years for me ordained as a deacon. And so I was thinking about writing a book to kind of contribute to the discussion um, about uh, the diaconate and the, the role of deacons in the life of the church. And and the opportunity presented itself when I was home during the pandemic, not able to travel. So I said, well, what am I going to do? I might as well write. And so I put my thoughts together and, uh, and put the book together on our life of service. And I focused on the service ministry of the deacon. There's kind of three munis, uh, uh, functions, tasks, of duty of ordained ministry, whether uh, bishop, priest, or deacon. And they're, uh, in the Latin, it's uh, docendi, sanctificandi, and regendi, teaching, sanctifying, and leading. Mm. And so it's that third tier, that leading ministry, which is sometimes referred to the deacon as charity. And I, I deliberately did not use the word charity there because sometimes it gets misconstrued as deacons are basically social workers, mm-hmm. you know, um, which is which I think is not fully the charism what the deacon is about. So I wanted to explore that and go deeper um, uh, about that that particular aspect of diaconal ministry, which is service. And the title of the book is Our Life of Service, mm-hmm. the Handbook for Catholic Deacons yeah. by Ave Maria. And what I I like. Because our diocese has a lot of deacons. And I mean, we had a class a few years ago. I want to say it was almost 30 deacons. And uh, for you know diocese, diocese of our size, I think it's a lot. But mm-hmm. and I've been impressed by them as, as being real servants. They, Mike's, I just had nothing but positive experiences. And, um, and they bring a lot of great work experience. You know, they're ordained in the diocese now, I think. You have to be like 50 or 50, I think it's 55 actually, um, when you start the program, which is pretty getting up there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but they bring a lot of life experience, I think, that's so helpful. They've honed, they've grown in virtue of, of work. You know, they've had a career in things. And um, so anyway, I I, I think mo- deacons model that in a powerful way, the permanent deacons. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, canon law says actually the minimum age is 35. Uh-huh. And in my case, I started the program at 30. Wow. So it was wow. the other end of the spectrum um, because, you know, I was, I was uh, uh, discerning monastic life. So I was in a Benedictine monastery for a while. Oh. And um, so they allowed me to start the program, although, because you have to meet the requirements at 35. You don't have to be 35 to start. You don't have to meet the requirements when you start the program. Mm. You have to meet everything when you're ordained. Mm. And so there, there, there were some red flags <laughs> that came yeah. up because yeah. of how, my age and how young my kids were. Yeah. But we had to have, in fact, we had to have a special meeting with the archbishop. Yeah. Um, and uh, he looked at everything and said, you know, you're ready. I'm going to ordain you. He said, uh, but this is new for us. We never had anybody under 40 with kids as young as yours. Mm-hmm. But he, he said, we think you could be a powerful witness to family life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I said, hey, you know, and. And my wife said, "Yep, as long as he doesn't, you know, he, 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 that that balance between right. the parish and and job and family." Right. Um, and she was totally on board and supportive, yeah. and she still is to this day. And I, I bet your wife played a convincing role for the bishop too. She's got her stuff together. And, uh, yeah. You know, so yeah. It's she's, well, she knew obviously I was in the in, in the monastery, and yeah. she knew that I had a very strong pull or attraction to service in the church. And so when the diaconate presented itself, 
um, you know, she was on board. And what really helped her, probably more than anything, was during the formation process, there was a, they, they had the wives of the current deacons come to talk to the wives of the guys in formation. So mm. they went off to a separate room by themselves. Mm. And, and basically the, the, the wives of the men in formation said, okay, look, tell us how this really is. Right. I mean, they're telling right. us all this right. stuff in this other room. Yeah. But you guys are living this. Tell right. us how it's like right. when your husband's ordained. Yeah. What's the balance? What, what are you struggling with? Yeah. What are some of the good things? And, yeah. and she goes, that was the best yeah. conversation. And that really convinced her that, that we could do this as a family. Yeah. Could you tell us now maybe like what your wife took from that meeting a little bit? Like what are the struggles? What are the blessings? Yeah. So sometimes when you're preparing for ordination, you know, you're excited and you want to start doing things, but you have to learn to say no because you can't lose the perspective of the priority. Relationship with God has to come first. Because if you're not right with God, you're no good to your family. You're no good to the church. Right. So that has to come first. You have to be a man of prayer. And I, and in the book, I emphasize you have to have strong Marian devotion. You have to go to Eucharistic adoration. I mean, you, that's the basic stuff right there. You mm-hmm. have to, because this this world with all the pulls and tugs and attractions, and we're more in the world in, than priests are yeah. because yeah. we have jobs and we, you know. Right. So you have to be rooted mm-hmm. in, a, in a life of prayer. Uh, Lectio Divina, all that stuff is critically important. That, flow, what flows from that, besides the love of Christ, is the joy that flows into the family next, God, family, and then everything else after that. Mm. You know, mm. um, because what the church does, it recognizes that there are men that are serving well in their families and they're sharing those gifts, maybe as a lector or on parish council or working for the St. Vincent de Paul in their parish. Now the church says, maybe this man, we can use his gifts for the benefit of the entire church. Right. You know, and right. so typically what happens is a priest or someone may approach a, a man in Paris and say, you ever think about becoming a deacon? Well, uh, well I, I don't know. I, you know, and you, should, you should think about it. You know, and that's kind of typically uh, yeah. how, how that starts. Yeah. And what, what do you think from your experience that I know it's always different, different gifts that are people, but what, how, how is it a blessing for the church and the parish uh, to have a permanent deacon? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, I think the best answer to that question is by understanding who the deacon is and his role. So, for example, you'll still hear in parishes, oh, yeah, you're just like a priest, except you can't say mass and hear confessions, right? Mm-hmm. Or they'll say, oh, yeah, basically, I'm not sure why we have deacons because basically lay people can do everything. And so, so when you hear that, yeah. or, or they call you a lay deacon. Right, right. But that's, well, deacons, holy orders, we're not. We're clerics. We're not mm-hmm. lay people. So, mm-hmm. so obviously, there's still uh, a, a not a proper understanding of what a deacon is mm-hmm. and who a deacon is, and what a deacon does. So, deacons are basically permanent signs and sacramental witnesses of the service ministry of Christ. Right. Um, so, the way I, I like to think about it, Father, is like obviously the bishop is the chief teacher, evangelizer, mm-hmm. uh, the the greatest facilitator of communion, um, as as the head of the diocese or eparchy or arch or archdiocese, but he can't do everything by himself. So he has priests mm-hmm. on his right hand mm-hmm. to help him with his ministry of facilitating communion, especially around the sacraments, most especially with, with the Holy Eucharist and mm-hmm. which gives life to the church. But he also is supposed to evangelize. That's what he has the deacons for. Mm-hmm. And notice even the ordination ceremony for bishops, mm-hmm. it's the deacons mm-hmm. that hold the book of the gospel over 
the new bishop mm. that's going to be ordained. Mm. You know, it's the deacons that hold the book of the gospel. Mm. So the, to me, that's a beautiful connection with the 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 um the deacon assisting the bishop with his ministry of evangelization, right, 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 of witnessing to the power of God's love in the world. Because yeah. our job is not to be the shepherd. The priest is the shepherd. Uh -huh. uh, our job is to, well, I want to use this in the book, Father Mark, sheepdogs. Okay. But the publisher said, oh, guys might not like being called sheepdogs. I said, but try to have the shepherd do his job without the sheepdogs. Yeah. So our job is not to be the shepherd. Our job yeah. is to go out and gather the sheep right. and bring them to the shepherd, bring yeah. them to the healing sacrifice, bring them, uh, show them love and witness the power of, of, of Christ's love so that they can come back to, to communion with the church. Yeah. I have a Protestant friend, that's the terminology they use. They, they say, well, they even, well, this guy in his particular church, he talked about the sheepdogs bringing him to the deacons. <laughs> but, uh, oh, yeah. but anyway, it was, uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think like deacons are on the front lines. Like you said, they're working the world. They're married. So they have a special, I think, experience to draw from and maybe an access, you know, into families that you speak the language, you know, the yeah. issues. Yeah, and, and what you'll find in parishes is that um, people will often come to the deacon if they have a family issue. Not that they can't go to the priest, but mm -hmm. they think, oh, I think he'll understand better because he's married and he may mm -hmm. understand these issues. Not to take away from the priest that the priest can't do that because the priest not only draws from his own family experience, mm -hmm. but because he's dealing with so many people, so many families, he's drawing from all those other experiences as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so he, I think priests are well equipped to be able to deal with these same issues. Mm -hmm. But I think people see like, okay, he's in the trenches every day. He has to try and yeah. balance work and kids right. and, fa and faith and all of this. So, yeah. so they'll, they're a little more apt to approach a deacon. Yeah. Um. And, and to talk about these type of issues and finding balance. And I found, because I didn't think anybody was going to come to me, quite frankly, because I was in the parish as a parishioner before I was assigned mm. there by the bishops. I'm like, oh, they, they, they already know me. They're not going to, oh, no. Once you're ordained, they see you differently. Mm. And I started learning things about people. I had no idea what's going on <laughs> in their lives until they, right. until they started like, really sharing with me, yeah. which they didn't do before when I was a lay person. Right. But right. when they saw me as Deacon Harold, that's when they started coming to me. Yeah. And I have to say this, Father. People ask me all the time, what are your greatest joys of being a deacon? They think I'm going to say, oh, be on the DWTN, which is awesome, by the way, but uh -huh. uh, or traveling around the world and meeting, the, you know, I deacon at the Vatican twice, at Pope Francis once. And and they think that's what I'm going to say. But no, it's, it's when the longtime parishioner who played the organ in church comes in during communion on Saturday Vigil Master. She never comes to see you never seen her Saturday Mass in your life because her husband dying across the street. Mm. And you and after Mass you go over there with her and you pray with her while her husband is dying. Yeah. yeah. It's the kid who's getting a cancer treatment at children's hospital mm. and the kids writhing in pain and the parents are tortured because they can't do anything to help their child and you're there mm. representing the church for them. Yeah. That's the stuff. Yeah. Now that that's where the real work of deacon you're in prison. You know, um, mm -hmm. there's a young man who made a mistake, a big, scary, messy mistake. And you're there. You're not alone. Christ is still with you. You're representing the church for them. Yeah. That's really what yeah. what it's all about. Yeah, I, I remember one time I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't ordained. I was, a, I think I was a seminarian. And we got a call. It was like after 10 o'clock at night. And this family was trying to find a priest. Somebody gave them our number. We happened to pick up the phone at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> Normally wouldn't even do that. But it, 
they the person was dying they've been asking for a priest all day so we go out uh, it was kind of like the outskirts of Birmingham and uh, it was in a trailer park and and we go into this this home and um, we walk past all these family members and go to the back room and the person had asked to be anointed so father anointed them and praying the rosary and during like the second or third decade I remember she was on a ventilator and she died. She's only like 36, you know? Wow. And I, I remember it, it made, it made such an impression upon me. It's like, these people didn't know me from Adam. Most of the family wasn't even Catholic. And I said, wow, you know, we're called to be in this most intimate thing, you know, at the end of their life. It's yeah. like, that's, uh, that's powerful. You know? Yeah, it is. And, you know, I think that's the great blessing as a deacon the the great privilege of how we get to be in people's yeah. lives yeah you know it's it's really humbling and you know and it could be intimidating i remember the first time i went and somebody was dying i was like man this is you know because i've never been around yeah. i mean well i was at law enforcement i was around dead people yeah. but they were already dead when i got there but but this is different this yeah. is more of a um pastoral setting where you're there representing the church for them where you're there you know praying with them where you're just being yeah, with them yeah. and 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 you're like part of that family and they're feeding you they, they bring i remember mm -hmm. there's an eritrean family mm -hmm. from um from from africa and uh it's like they moved into the hospital because yeah. the, the patriarch of the family they thought they were going to lose them mm -hmm. and so i went in there and and, and yeah. prayed with them and and um uh and then they you know they, they were having food and said deacon yeah. please you know and and I was looking at mine because I wanted to go home, you know, but, but no, you have to, you, those, yeah. those are things you have to do. Yeah. And, I, and I texted my wife, I'm going to be a little late because, you know, right, right, this is part right. of their culture and this is part yeah. of, the, you know, and it was just beautiful. Yeah. You know, it's, a, yeah. it's a beautiful gift. Yeah. Yeah. And what are some of the ways in the book you cover, like, because uh, the book's about service, diaconal service. And what are some of those services you talk about in the book? Yeah. So um, the way I've structured the book is I talk about diaconal spirituality. Then I talk about serving the family, um, you know, serving your wife, serving your children, because that's the priority, right? God, mm -hmm. family, and then mm -hmm. everything else after that. Then I talk about serving in the parish, what that looks like, not being afraid to preach. Because again, and that's another point. Um, sometimes deacons get upset because they don't preach that much mm. at mass, but that's not our purview to preach at mass. Mm -hmm. The, the rubrics say the deacon preaches occasionally or mm. sometimes because he's not the shepherd, the sheep need to uh, hear from the shepherd. Okay. They hear from us like Father's Day or or uh, a lot of uh, dioceses I notice about once a month. Mm -hmm. That's like the deacon mm -hmm. weekend to preach, which which is fine because most of our preaching is outside mm -hmm. of Mass. Mm -hmm. You know, so when we're doing the service that we talked about yeah. or the business sick, yeah. or um, in the book, I also talk about some incredible ministries that some of my brother deacons are doing on a larger scale. There's Deacon Anvu, for example, from my diocese mm -hmm. in Portland, who has an international apostate where he's feeding elderly people mm. uh, with $10 a month. Uh, mm. $10 can feed an elderly person for an entire month mm. in, in mm. his home country of Vietnam. Mm. Now he's expanded about four or five different countries doing the same thing. Wow. You know, uh, this Deacon Larry Oni, who, who's building orphanages and stuff in in um, several different countries in, in Africa, yeah. uh, who's, you know, who's really making a difference in the lives of people in a powerful and significant way. You know, there's another brother deacon who's uh, working with the homeless, mm. who's really finding solutions to getting people off the street, mm. not 
paying lip service to it like politicians mm -hmm. do, but he's actually doing something. And so mm -hmm. I highlight that to show, yes, we're in the parish, but we're also outside of the parish. Because think about it. Stephen, the first martyr to church of deacon, didn't die in a parish. Hmm. You know, Philip, when he was with the Ethiopian eunuch, yeah. you know, he, he was in the parish. He was out right. preaching. Right. So, so we have, it's the balance. Yes, we do stuff in the parish, but we also have the charism outside of the parish, especially the people that need to hear the gospel message that need to hear uh, and encounter Christ in a very personal way. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you, and you, you're in a tough city, Portland, <laughs> and you're from New Jersey, right? Yes. So you've, you know what the streets are like, right? Yeah. And you've been a police officer, yep. right? So uh, do you, do you do some of that work yourself with ministering to like people kind of in that parts of society or? Yeah, so um, I used to work with, I already said Vincent DePaul, mm. which I, I loved working with the, the poor and um, providing assistance for them. But then when the clergy um, abuse scandal thing happened, the, the St. Vincent DePaul major corporation decided they didn't want clergy um, working oh. as oh. officers. I was treasurer, so I was an yeah. officer, and they, yeah. they wouldn't let me do that anymore. So I had yeah. to pull back. But. Um, but yeah, I I, I love getting my because I mean, yes, I'm I'm traveling, I'm speaking, I'm writing books, I'm doing. It. But I also love when I go, for example, I go to a parish and I go to the assisted living community mm. and I give a little talk mm. or maybe do a communion service mm -hmm. for the people there. Right. You know, because oh, we haven't seen Father in a while because Father's like crazy busy. Yeah. But but I can go. Right. So, you know, they right. still so they feel that connection yeah. to the parish. They feel they're being fed, yeah. and um and I just go and get them a little. From right. reading a little talk and stuff like that, answer any questions that they have, and it's beautiful. Right, right. You know, you're bringing Christ to them. Yeah. You know? And I didn't realize you just shared with me that you were a Benedictine for a few years, or mm -hmm. discerning. Yes. Talk about that discernment about discerning marriage and family, and then the diaconate. Sure. So ever since I was about nine years old, um, first of all, I loved going to mass as a kid, yeah. which is unusual. Sometimes I get bored or whatever. Yeah. But I remember even in church, my mom used to sit me at the aisle uh, in the pew and then she would stand next to me my siblings would be on the other side of her because they were typical kids throwing Cheerios and stuff uh -huh. but she wanted to make sure I was separated from this so I could focus right. on what was going on and I remember thinking clearly there's something really cool going on up there yeah. I'm not exactly yeah. sure what it is but right. I like it Right. You know. <laughs> uh, then I started serving mass which was amazing I remember one time very very clearly uh, I, it was weekday mass because Christ the King, our, our, our school is right across the street. So because I was serving mass, that way you can come late to school because mm -hmm. I was serving mass. Mm -hmm. And I had my hand on the buzzer. It was, it was Father O'Connor, the the pastor, the, the Irish brogue, mm -hmm. was elevating the Eucharist. I was about to ring the bells. I remember thinking to myself, I could totally see myself doing that. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought, okay, maybe God's called me to be a priest. Yeah. And I end up going to St. Benedict's prep Benedictine high school in Newark, New Jersey. And they had a come and see program. I did it all four years. Hmm. See back then you could live in a novitiate. So I, as a high school student, I lived in a novitiate with the postulates and the, and the novices. Wow. You know, you can't do that now because of the <laughs> child stuff. <laughs> but, but back then it was awesome because you yeah. felt like you were living the life. Right. And uh, so by the time I was a senior, I was living in the monastery two weeks at a time every other month. Okay. You know, and even going to college, I majored in economics and business with a with a emphasis in accounting okay. because they, I was scheduled to be the business manager of the monastery, mm -hmm. you know. So, mm -hmm. um, 
And then after graduation, I worked for a year and then joined the monastery. And I thought, hmm. here I am. I'm doing what hmm. God's called me to do. And then my mom got sick and almost died. Hmm. And I'm the oldest. When my father left uh, the family, I helped my mom raise everybody. So, um, so I left to take care of her. And I went to a wedding, and that's where I met the woman and the people. Oh, like, Oops, you know. <laughs> so I didn't go back. You know, I often wonder, Father, why give me that desire and stuff, and then take me out of. I mean, right. What? right. But but I realize now that God was thinking thirty years ago. You don't know this right now, but you're going to be speaking and writing and traveling around the world, and you need this foundation of love of the liturgy, love of silence love of devotions love of adoration you're going to need that and yeah. that's so true i draw from that experience all the time in what i'm doing because you have to be grounded right. and i want to ground myself in, in a deep spirituality yeah i've thought about that you know myself going through a novitiate and then you know, early formation and seminary i thought i thought every man could really benefit from just like if they could somehow take a year of of deep prayer to everything, learn good habits and stuff. And, uh, I think it should be, I mean, I, I, I joke about it, but I think it should be required. You yeah. know, you go to some countries like Israel, uh -huh. um, and where else have I been? Where that, uh, Singapore, where once you graduate from high school, you have to do military service right? for, I think, a year or two years. Then you can go off to college, or then you can go to, then you can do what you want, mm -hmm. but you have to do at least a year or two of military service. So I'm thinking, why not get young men, Catholic men, when they graduate from high school, you have to go to a seminary for a year. Mm -hmm. Even if you're never going to be, but just to get that formation and the yeah. discipline and the right. prayer, right. you know, I think it'd be, we'll have much, much better men, husbands, fathers, yeah. uh, if, if men did that. And I, I even think like some, I don't do marriage prep, we're not a parish, but I, I always think you just do some psychological testing or just to do, something to kind of maybe learn what your issues are or maybe weaknesses or communication styles and just to go into marriage a little bit self-knowledge that you have to have all these tests, you know, be religious life seminarians. But I always feel like, yeah, the spiritual component, a little psychological testing, <laughs> I think would bless a lot of guys. Uh, yeah, yeah. There is that in marriage prep. They have a, an instrument that measures the compatibility of yeah, the two. Yeah. So they take it separately. Right. They submit it separately and then they come back together and get the results oh, right. uh, together. Yeah. So there That's is something good. like that. That's but good. one thing about marriage prep, you know, think about the way that the, the sacraments are grouped in the catechism. You have the sacraments of initiation, right? Uh, baptism, confirmation, Eucharist, the sacraments of healing, right? Uh, anointing of the sick and reconciliation. Then the sacraments of the service of communion, holy orders and marriage. Mm -hmm. Now think about it. Priest typically takes what six, seven years mm -hmm. of formation mm -hmm. to become a priest. And what about marriage? A weekend? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a couple of months, like once a week. Right. For a, come on, for a lifetime. <laughs> What's wrong with this picture? Now I'm not saying that a couple needs seven yeah, years. Yeah, I mean, come on, that, yeah, that's yeah. much. But there's got to be something better yeah. than just a weekend right. to prepare. Right. And I think it, 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 the uh, cause of the problems a lot of divorces and leading to even decrees of nullity is because they weren't well prepared right or you know because preparation not just preparation for entering into a lifelong commitment of matrimony but it's also to get to know yourself yeah. am i ready 
right. to enter into this relationship? Or am yeah. I mat- not mature enough yet? Is there, are there things that I haven't thought about? Yeah. Or am I just so enamored because she's so beautiful? And, you know, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. So, yeah. I mean, it really should take our time and have these couples think deeply and seriously about what they're entering into and yeah. making Jesus the heart and the center of their entire married life. Yeah, and how would you describe like marriage is a sacrament, it's a path to holiness. You know, how does that talk? Can you talk about me about the distinction or differences between the the holy orders or the the religious life, sanctification, and the sanctification that takes place in marriage? How do they look different and experienced? Yeah. So, um, for for me, um, in married life, it's about how am I making my wife holy? How am I making my family holy? Mm-hmm. You know, am I being a witness and example of Christ to them? Am I being the priest in the home? Right. That's my job as the father, is to be a priest in that home. And what's the main job of a priest? To offer sacrifice. So I have to die to myself every day of my life, die to my selfishness, die to my pride, mm-hmm. to live for them, to serve them. Because I am the head of that family. Mm-hmm. Not because I'm the boss mm-hmm. or because I'm better than my wife, mm-hmm. but because I'm the chief servant. Mm-hmm. And Christ gave us the model. I have not come to be served, but to serve. Why, why in John's gospel, not the synoptics, he washes their feet. Mm-hmm. To, well, two reasons. Of course, Exodus 30 and Exodus 40, it's, he's initiating the priesthood. Because mm-hmm. before the priesthood, he went from the tent of meeting to the altar of sacrifice. He went to the laver and washed his hands and his feet. Which mm. only the priests did, the high priest and the priest, not the Levites, were the, were the deacons. Mm. They didn't wash. Mm. Only the high priest and the priests, not mm. the not the Levites. Mm. Um, it's very clear there mm-hmm. in in the text, which is great because mm-hmm. you start to see kind of the foundation of the diaconate. In fact, if you look at Numbers eighteen, it talks about the Levites, the deacons, yeah. and how they were not supposed to do what the the high priest and the priests did. Right. That they were called to serve them. Yeah, I was like, that's beautiful. That's it right there. Right. So and that so that's the charism. So so when I live that in my married life, I'm doing it as a husband and father because uh, being a father, we're we're borrowing the name of God because mm. God has been father from all eternity. Mm. But you are a father by ordination. I'm mm. a father by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but we still have the same title from God, mm-hmm. which we will be held accountable for. Right. I gave you the talent right. of fatherhood. Right. How do you multiply that talent? We can't be that guy that buries it in the ground. Right. So I'm very conscious of the fact that my obligation responsibility to that family. So now I, I, I've taken that dynamic and, and, and say, so how can I do this for the church? Now, not as the, um, the, I'm still the servant, but not the chief servant. That's the priest, mm-hmm. right? So so in the parish, my job, just like in the Old Testament, is to assist the priest, to serve the priest yeah. uh, in the parish. Um, uh, so so in my situation, that's helping out, uh, well, well, you know, before COVID, going to the hospitals, going mm-hmm. to the prisons. I've, I've gone on sick calls with father before, you know, um, uh, and, and and assisting help maybe even some administration stuff that takes so father can actually go be a pastor mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. not a, a, a paper right. pusher right you know so 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 taking those gifts and utilizing the skills that I have um, to be able to assist father in pastoring the sheep so I'm more like the older brother right. you know 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the priests, you know, you have the the elders uh, and stuff, but then you have the the the, the young the, the the brothers, right? And that's the, that's what I yeah. that's what I am. And I would think too in marriage life that, um, you know, your wife there, you know, and loving her and and just the living that togetherness that she could call you out on your stuff, you know. Oh, it's, she does. <laughs> it's like we. I don't know. It just seems like, you know, you, you always have the two together that yeah, it can be, it can get real and, and a real path to grow in self-knowledge and yes, virtue and stuff. exactly. Yeah. And humility. Yeah. Right? Because humility doesn't mean thinking less of yourself. It means thinking of yourself less. Right. So, for example, a funny story. Um, so, uh, before we had c- cable, the only reason we even have the satellite is because... Uh, uh, the Olympics. The kids love the Olympics, right? Mm-hmm. So every time the Olympics, only want to watch. So, um, so one time, so I I had a, my computer on, and I was listening to EW10. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's how I get the mm-hmm. network. And so um, my daughter, and I was cleaning the bathroom because mm-hmm. the bath the bathroom is next to my office, mm-hmm. so I can hear while I'm scrubbing toilets. And my daughter Angela, who loves the fact that Daddy is Deacon Harold and yeah. people recognize, oh, daddy, you're on, you're on EW10, you're on. I said, I am? Uh-huh. And my wife said, oh, yeah, there you are. Get back to the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, honey, but uh, yeah, yeah. still needs to be clean. Yeah. <laughs> so you're right. There's that There's that uh, that definite sense of, of humility there and uh, calling you out on your stuff and, and yeah. um, making sure. And she helps me to keep that balance because sometimes, because I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a workaholic, because I figured I'm not sure how much time that God's given me on this earth. I want to try and do as much as I can right. in whatever time. Yeah. And so I, I try to do a lot of different things. And sometimes my wife has to pull me back a little bit. And I you know what? And I'll say this, Father, with all sincerity. I truly believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to my wife. Because mm-hmm. women have a special intimacy with the Holy Spirit as life givers and life bearers. They participate in that life-giving power of the Holy Spirit in a way that we men can never fully understand or appreciate. You know, and I think of, you know, the, the Blessed Mother, her openness, her willingness to be yeah, the mother yeah. of God, to give life to life itself. Yeah, You yeah. know, and I think of my wife. Okay, you know, she shares that same character of the Blessed Mother that I can't as a man. Right. You know, right. so I have to respect that. So if I don't listen to her, then I'm an idiot. Yeah. I mean, if I don't listen to her heart. Right. I'm not talking about the honey-do list and all that yeah, kind of stuff. I yeah. mean, if I don't listen to her heart on important issues, yeah, then I'm not really being the father that God calls me to yeah. be. Yeah, I think sometimes men, you know, we get, you know, we like to systematize and categorize and kind of emphasize the rational and logical and things. And it seems like, you know, women, they're more in tune with their emotions. And I think sometimes they have a greater freedom they're not like bound sometimes by the categories we get locked into and yeah. analyze. They have intuition and things. Yeah, yeah. But that's interesting though to say to combine it with a real guidance of the Holy Spirit, a special uh, calling there. That's that's really interesting to hear coming from a husband. But yeah, I mean, yeah. we pray, you know, Sunday credo Espiritu Sanctus Dominum Evificantem. Right? Yeah. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of Life. Right. You know, so that women participate in that in a very different way than we do as men. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so there's there's a beauty there. there. There's a spirituality there um, that we as men need to appreciate and recognize. Um, you know, it's very interesting, Father Mark. 
during the pandemic, I was home and I decided to read, um, spend more time in books of the Bible that I usually don't spend a lot of time in. One of them was Proverbs. And, you know, and you always, you know, you hear in the scriptures about girding your loins, right? Because usually that's a, typically a way a man, a man prepares for battles to gird his loins. Mm-hmm. But so, in, in Proverbs 31, the last chapter of Proverbs, says that a woman girds her loins mm. and makes her arms strong. Mm. Like she's preparing for spiritual battle, right. which is beautiful because I went back and looked at um, Genesis chapter 2, um, where it says, uh, I will make a helper fit for him. And that in Hebrew, it's azadokonegdo. It's someone who stands opposite or parallel to you, who helps, aids, assists, surrounds, protects, and defends in battle. Mm. <laughs> so there's a beautiful uh, parallel between Genesis 2 and Proverbs 31 about the woman being strong, uh, yeah. being a battle partner. And you look at Louis de Montfort, the way he talks about the Blessed Mother. Right. You know, the army soldiers and the army of Mary. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we don't, we often don't think about it like that. Right. Right. And I, isn't that word too, Ezer, I forgot what you Ezer said. Ezer Conegdo. Yeah. It's like suggestive of help coming from the Lord, right? Too, isn't it used sometimes to describe the Lord's help? Yes. When that, you, yeah. Yes. When you see yeah. that, that phrase uh-huh. used in other parts of the Bible. Yeah. That's correct. Right. That's correct. And that, that help did come from the Lord. Yeah. It, from the side. Yeah. Right. It was from the side. Right. But, but that came that yeah. came from the Lord. Yeah. And he was put into that deep sleep, the terror de ma in Hebrew means a deep sleep without consciousness or dreams. So he didn't start from the from the beginning with a new lump of dirt. Right. He took he, he took from his side. She's made of finer stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he took from his side to create her, but that yeah. came from God. Yeah. You know, so it showed that he had no part. Like, right. and, oh, right. oh, I made you so I could yeah, work, you yeah, know, right. he, he was in, yeah. that, in that sleep. And yeah. the beautiful parallel is Christ crucified. Yeah. Christ is in the terror de ma, the sleep of death. Because remember, Christ always refers to death as sleep. Mm-hmm. When he went to raise a 12-year-old girl to lead mm-hmm. the little girl mm-hmm. arise, mm-hmm. he said, she's asleep. She's not dead. Mm-hmm. Everybody's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Right. She's dead. Yeah. Right. And he kicks right. everybody out except the parents and Peter, James, yeah. and John. Yeah. And then he raised Lazarus. Remember, he said, when he finally went, he said, let us go wake our brother. Yeah. And there's yeah. Jesus in the terror de ma, the sleep of death on the cross, and Longinus spears him in the side, and blood right. and water come out. Forming right? the church. The church. Yeah. She. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The bride yeah. comes forth from the side of the bridegroom. Right. So it's a beautiful analogy between Christ and the church and, and matrimony. Yeah. And which I think. Uh, Paul picks up beautifully in Ephesians chapter five. Yeah, and your wife is she was a devout Catholic when you met her, and yeah, it, yeah, uh, and, but she she honestly struggles with things hmm. because she grew up in Oregon. I mean, let's be real here, <laughs> not the most orthodox place to grow up, right, you know. Right. So so she uh, struggles, but I think going through the diaconate program we really helped uh-huh. to give some shape and really helped to give her a deeper understanding of the things she didn't understand. Right. You know, right. so uh, it's it's wonderful. So we have some very good conversations, very honest conversations. Uh-huh. She struggles with some things more than I do. Yeah. You know, um, but it but she's honest about it. Right. That's that's what I, I really appreciate. She's honest. And I wish more people had that kind of honesty. You know, you have people, Father, that just malign the church. Yeah. And when you ask them, well, well what does the church actually believe? They can't tell you. Right. They're just angry. Mm-hmm. At what they think the church teaches, mm-hmm. when they actually don't want to sit down and listen 
to here's what the church teaches and why the church teaches what it does. So they can have a deeper understanding. Okay, at least I know what I'm disagreeing with now. Mm-hmm. That's honest. At least I now know what, you know what I'm disagreeing. But, but most of the time they can't articulate that. Yeah. They, just, they just want to feel the emotion and they don't want to think. That's why I love my wife. She has the balance of, of thinking about things deeply. Uh-huh. You know, so that yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah. And you grew up like 70s, 80s. And yes. So it wasn't a great time of catechesis. Yep. But correct. How, how did you come out with the faith? <laughs> well, um, I remember one time in fifth grade, Sister Mary talked about the Renew program. And I wasn't sure what that was, but she was describing, oh, I think I want to do this. And so programs like that, or my mom's example, her witnessing example of sacrifice. Of You know, she's a cardiac care nurse and worked graveyard shift. And many times she worked overtime. Um, you know, there's sometimes days we didn't see her, you know, which yeah. again, I would come home and dinner would be already, and she you know, already ready, we came home from school, she was asleep. Yeah. But she had to get up and work the grave shift that night. Yeah. And so I would see her because I had to make sure that she didn't sleep through her alarm. So she right. goes, make sure, don't just go to bed when you hear yeah. the alarm. Make sure I'm up and walking around right. before you go to bed. Right. You know, yeah. um, and so I do a little check-in with her about how things went and stuff like yeah. that. And she sacrificed so much so that we can have a Catholic education, yeah. so that we can have opportunities that she never had. Mm-hmm. That so many young men were being taken by the streets that didn't have fathers because they were looking for father figures um, in gangs. So my mom makes sure that we were in gangs too, Boy Scouts, altar servers, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, around men yeah. that didn't take the place of my dad, yeah. but at least could be witnesses and examples of, of authentic masculinity. And you did have those kind of mentors. That you, I, I absolutely yeah. did, yeah. including some of the monks, yeah. you know, in the monastery. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Deacon, for chatting with us. That's, uh, that's good. It's not a great book. Oh, no, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It's great to be here.